Welcome to PR360, a weekly public relations podcast where we bring on the best and brightest minds in the PR industry. We discuss the important topics that you need to know. Tune in every Wednesday to find out. Hosted by Brett Dicer and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find more information on globalresultspr.com. And welcome to a new episode of PR360. I'm your host, Brett Dicer. Please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings and let us know how we're doing. But this week, I have Corey with me, and he is a marketer, an entrepreneur, a fellow podcaster, an investor, and he has worked on various different projects and consulting, including this very browser slash software that we're using riverside as well as savvy cal evercast and so much more so welcome to the show Corey. thanks for having me yeah excited to be here and first question i ask all my guests is are you a coffee or a tea drinker oh uh, coffee drinker 100 percent. i wish i could say i was a tea drinker it's probably healthier for you my parents are big tea drinkers but uh, i could never really get into it and um i wouldn't say i'm really much of a coffee connoisseur but uh, my wife is we drink coffee pretty much every day and uh, it's coffee all the way for me Gotcha. Any favorite brands for the coffee in general? Um, you know, here in San Diego, there's a couple locals. Uh, there's Dark Horse Coffee. Um, Bird Rock is always a great option. Uh, actually, one of my friends roasts his own coffee, too, so we drink some of his and we'll roast him up. Um, but yeah, we try to drink local as much as we can. Nice. And I gave a brief summary of your expertise. Can you give our audience a little bit more about what you do and your expertise? Yeah. So my background is pretty much all in B2B software, B2B SaaS. Um, so I was the first marketing hire at Cordial, an enterprise ESP was the email, mar- email marketing platform. Uh, and I was the head of growth at Metrics. After I left there, I did a bunch of consulting uh, for some of the brands that you mentioned. Now my main consulting client is SavvyCal, which is a Calendly competitor. Um, but pretty much since then, I've always been involved with and helping other companies, other software companies uh, build marketing, um, you know, a lot of product-led growth, uh, not so much on the sales side, right, but really trying to help people generate um, leads, revenue, things that directly lead to uh, the growth of the business on the, on the, on the top line. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's really where all my expertise, all my experience has been. I've created a couple of courses. I have a newsletter been really active on the marketing side on all the projects with bare metrics also was, you know, it was a B2B SaaS for other B2B SaaS. And so I got to see the innards of a lot of SaaS companies and their metrics and got to consult with them, met with about 10 to 20 founders a week, just on how to help grow their business and got the inside scoop on what was working for them, what wasn't working for them. So anyways, a lot of the ways to say the same thing, which is that I live and breathe B2B SaaS marketing. Nice. And even talking about startups in general, what do what do they miss when it comes to basically marketing their products? Because I'm pretty sure a lot of them have great products, but nobody knows who they are. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of the same common problems that I see most often. One is that uh, they're completely reliant on sales. So this is kind of like the early 2000 uh, predictable revenue model where basically you get a bunch of SDRs and BDRs and AEs, and you just sort of hit the pavement and the calls and the events, and you really work on like a sales function. And marketing is just there as like the extra person to help generate leads for sales. Um, but sales does most of the generation. Um, so in that case, the problem is usually that you know marketing is understaffed, under budgeted. Um, there's like really no strategy besides helping sales create sales decks and setting up events 
and meetings for them. Uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, there are a lot of companies that basically don't do any marketing at all because they expect their product to uh, to do all the work for them. And really what that means is they expect the users of the product to shout from the rooftops and to basically for word of mouth to generate most of the growth in the business. Um, so you see this a lot with uh, side projects and indie hackers and a lot of bootstrap startups where you know they don't have a big budget. They haven't raised a bunch of VC money to work with, uh, but they also don't do a lot of intentional marketing. Um, right there in the middle, the third problem that I normally see is that startups are doing some marketing, but they're kind of just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. They're flailing around, trying a lot of different things. They're experimenting. I think this was uh, the case, sort of like the rise of the growth hacker about 10 years ago or five years ago, uh, when really when it was at its peak, where you're kind of like it's this rapid experimentation and a lot of growth hacking and a lot of uh, conversion rate optimization, but you can only optimize your way so far. And also a lot of things in marketing take investment rather than just sort of this rapid experimentation and things don't work right away, right? It's hard for something to be really profitable, really fast. Um, and so to summarize, if I could have to, you know, put in a couple of words, it's, it's either they're too sales reliant. They don't do any marketing at all. They rely on word of mouth or, uh, they're sort of just throwing speed at the wall and seeing what sticks, which ends up being counterproductive, unprofitable. And, you know, a lot of the leadership will lose faith in the marketing function. Mm, seems like a lot of even traditional companies have that issue too, where it's either mar heavy marketing, not enough, or let's just shotgun this and see which one sticks. So how do you find that equilibrium yeah. where everything just seems to go around that? Is there any type of equilibrium you can find as a marketer PR pro? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I've been harping on for a long time is that I really don't need to do that many things in marketing for it to work and to, for your company to scale. Uh, again, with this whole like experimentation craze that was going on with, with growth hacking, it was like, we need to find, you know, 10 different strategies and channels and 10 different projects at any given time. If you really look at the ways that size companies grow and scale, it's usually off the back of like one to two big channels. And then you sort of layer on a couple of things, like a couple of splashy uh, campaigns or events. You might have a couple of experiments. There's going to be improvements along the way and things that you're going to do regardless, like product marketing announcements and uh, you might be sort of you know writing content, engaging a newsletter, uh, doing sort of stuff like this, right? We're going on a podcast, but it's a little bit more on the side. It's not going to be a main kind of growth channel. But really, most companies grow off the back of one to two marketing channels, which is not a lot, right? And, and even when companies get those one to two working, they're always looking for more. They want to layer on the third, the fourth, and the fifth. And they end up not working because there's diminishing returns at that point. Uh, so to answer your question about finding the equilib equilibrium, I think that you really want to find your focus and you want to prioritize for the companies that are, that are sales focused. You really want to find a couple things that marketing can do independently of the sales team to generate leads and revenue that isn't directly tied back to getting in contact with a salesperson. So it's, it's doing its own work and it's becoming profitable in and of itself for the companies that aren't doing any marketing at all, you just need to focus on a couple of key things, right? Uh, SEO, just go all in for a year and invest on that. Or maybe it's more building a personal uh, audience and building in public and being active on Twitter. and Just really focus on that. Don't try to do 10 things at once. Same thing with throwing spaghetti on the wall. Instead of having like, you know, one experiment a week or one channel a month, 
just really make the case for making an investment. And I think that will help to go a long way for companies to more see marketing as uh, uh, an investment rather than like a cost center, right? Where it's just sort of like expenses and do we really need this? And or why are we spending the money that? Well, if it's working, if it's ROI positive, then you should be pouring as much money into that as possible. And you can really make that case when you have something that is very, very, very clearly working. And it's also easier to see what's working when you're only doing a limited number of things anyways, right? So it helps to have the strategy set from the beginning to know what you're doing, know who you're targeting, have a really clear message, and then do one channel at a time so that you're not mudding the water or mudding the data with all these different variables that are in the mix. Mm -hmm. So it almost seems like an investment in awareness is what I'm kind of seeing right now is that you want to invest in bringing awareness to your product and hopefully finding your customers that it will shout to the rooftops about your product. Yeah. I think awareness is definitely one part of it. Um, a lot of companies will underinvest in awareness for sure. They want to go straight for the throat, right? And straight to, Hey, sign up for our product or get a demo now or start a free trial. And people need to be warmed up. They need to be educated. I'm a big fan of, um, or a big believer that the best marketing doesn't look like marketing. It looks like education or entertainment or someone just speaking the same language as, uh, as you and you're providing content that's helpful to them and doing their job, right? And then through that, you can introduce your products in a much more natural way and make a case for it where people become more, you know, there's the whole like five stages of awareness, right? Where maybe someone is first unaware and then the problem aware and then the solution aware. And when you're doing a lot of this more top of funnel type of marketing, that can help to kind of check the boxes of, okay, we're bringing people who are unaware to now the problem aware and the people who are problem aware are now solution aware. And now we can, you know, turn on the, the advertising channels. Now we can help them get in contact with sales. But yeah, you do need a lot of that top of funnel awareness to, uh, to scale, especially. Um, a lot of companies are focused on how do we make more of the, uh, how do we convert more of the thousand people coming to our site today or, the, or this month? when they should be thinking about how do we get tens of thousands of people coming to the site and um, the rest will figure out itself. Right. True. And then even going on to like product announcements, because that's part of the pipeline of awareness is how has that changed since 2020 when everything went to, well, we got to figure out new ways of doing things. How has that changed and how can you leverage that to bring awareness and to get people on board with your product? Hmm. You know, I think that for certain industries, it's absolutely changed a ton. I think that a lot of when a lot of industries are focused on in-person meetings and going to events and uh, sort of doing like the, the traveling dog and pony show a little bit. Obviously, that was completely thrown out the door and you had to reinvent yourself and find completely new ways. But um, from my perspective, for a lot of the companies that I was talking with, and have worked with, consulted with, nothing changed for them because they were already sort of ahead of the game and their marketing was independent of any in-person meeting, right? Uh, that's why I think channels like um, like SEO, for example, are so powerful because it's the only free recurring source of traffic. And it's one of the only marketing channels that is going to be very intent-driven as well. And so you know that the people that you're attracting are are qualified in some manner Whereas if you're sitting the pavement on sales or if you're going to events, you might attract the wrong type of person that might not even be ready. The first company I worked for, Cordial, the sales cycles were like six to 12 months long. And most of the time, you can't even start a sales conversation until 
someone's like three months, three months out from their current contract expiring, which those contracts can last three to five years. <laughs> so you have to find someone to like the exact right moment. Whereas if you're creating this magnet where you're attracting the right people at the right time with the right intentions, your job and your life gets a lot easier. Right. And I think that that's what a lot of people are realizing this kind of post pandemic world is um, you want your, your marketing to be anti-fragile, right? You want to have these sustainable, scalable uh, sources of, of traffic and awareness that aren't just going to vanish the next day, right? And that you can count on for years and years to come to build your business off of. And I, I just think a lot of people are in like risk removal mode now where we're thinking about like, well, we could do this, but this other thing over here looks better because of X, Y, and Z reasons. If there were another pandemic or some other black swan event that would completely take out our, our marketing. Mm -hmm. And so it almost seems like what you're talking about is almost sustainable marketing where you go, you basically are doing the right things at the right time, which is SEO, which is other types of things. So is there something new that's sprouting up? We could call it sustainable marketing in some type of way. Something new. Um, I think one of the things I've been a big fan of more recently uh, it's been more engineering as marketing, um, creating free tools, uh, many products, many sites, um, even uh, like completely different products in and of themselves that are completely free. Uh, Chrome extensions, uh, mobile apps, things that you have a completely different brand, right? But then you, like for example, my friend Chris, uh, he runs a company called JetBoost. And he created, it's built on top of a website builder called Webflow, but he built a completely different product called ModKit, which allows you, basically gives you some superpowers within the Webflow website designer. It's completely free and there's a link back to JetBoost and it generates leads for him every single month because it's an inherently valuable tool in and of itself. Uh, and you've seen this like with HubSpot with their email signature generator. And you see this with uh, calculators, with time zones, with all sorts of different applications of that. But uh, even like social media tools. Um, so I love engineering with marketing. I think that also can have uh, a concurrent marketing channel of being more like SEO driven, uh, where it can rank really well for certain keywords that people are looking for because that's more product focused, but it's free. And so it's an easy ask. Um, and then one of the other ones is being more thinking like uh, a media company rather than just uh, a marketing team where you're, you're building these media assets that you, where you own the means of distribution. So a lot of companies have been really focused on um, building on, on other people's platforms, basically, right? You're like building up your social media following and uh, you're going around and you're, you're writing blog posts. So everything gets distributed through someone else's platform, through another forum, through another. And what you see a lot more these days is that people are owning that distribution where they have their own email lists. Uh, they have their own news arm or their their own media outlet we've seen that with, with uh, coinbase we saw microquire built bootstrappers.com which is a whole arm in and of itself a whole publication online uh we've seen newsletters just absolutely explode where you want to email is the most powerful marketing channel of all because you own the distribution no one can say no you can't get into someone's inbox unless you're banned or unsubscribed right you want to obviously there's some intent there but um we're, the content you're creating, people are are coming to that content just for the content, not just as like this facade for selling your product, right? Where the content itself is really, really interesting. And then you can build this audience around the content that you're creating. This is true with podcasts, with uh, with video as well, with these, creating these 
um, courses and webinars and all these series. Uh, so that's what I'm really big on is more engineers marketing and um, kind of marketing like a media company where you're building a lot of content that is valuable in and of itself, but also where you own the means of distribution and you're building your audience that way. Gotcha. And that's also leads to as a fellow podcaster, what do you see this industry mm-hmm. going in 2022? Do you see more businesses jumping in even further into it or owning their own podcasts in general? Do you see more companies willing to have more of their employees be guests on different podcasts? What do you see? Yeah. I mean, I think we've, in the last couple of years, we've, we've always seen more and more companies and businesses jump into podcasting as another marketing channel, if you want to call it that. Um, I think that where it's going a little bit is that you'll start to see a lot more uh, personalities built up in the podcasting space within companies. Um, So we saw this with uh, Kristen De La France over at Shopify, where she built out their resilient retail podcasts. Uh, I also know um, Matt Diros over at Castos and he has his podcast. And then he also runs the Castos podcast. Uh, my good friend, Gia Kunzo, he creates shows for B2B companies. He's worked with companies like Wistia and ProfitWell and Drift. And uh, and then they sort of take over. And actually, one of the really great examples is um, Maggie Crawley over at Drift. She just left, actually. And I think she's moving on with the podcast. But um, she was this person who was a product manager. And they said, hey, do you want to do a podcast on product management and product stuff. And she was like, sure. And now she's building her own personal brand and she's becoming this personality within sort of the media arm of Drift and their marketing. Uh, But then it's attracting a whole new set of people and they're coming into the podcast and it's becoming a thing in and of itself. Uh, Actually, another really great example, my friend uh, Tyler, Tyler Selhorn, he runs the We Work Remotely podcast. He works at Yak. Um, but he's like the personality. He's the the radio show host, right? And so I think that personal brands of employees are going to become a lot more prominent, but we'll especially see this within the context of running a podcast or doing a show, even a YouTube show, doing live streams, um, hosting clubhouses and Twitter spaces uh, where the employees have a voice and a brand rather than just like the corporate brand, the corporate entity, uh, the, you know, people are creating content for the company distributing through their own social profiles rather than the corporate profile. Gotcha. So it seems like also with engineer marketing, it's going to be basically internal employee influencer marketing too, trying to find that exactly. personality, as you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Developing personalities. Uh, you think about like a, a traditional media company, right? And uh, a news company, they develop these anchors, right? And these personalities, you have the the weatherman, you have sort of like the investigative journalist, you have the anchors, they all have their own specializations, but people come for the anchor, right? People, if they go to a different network, they follow that person. Uh, if they strike out on their own, we're seeing there's a lot of uh, journalists these days, right? Where they're jumping ship for Substack and people follow the person. There's something to be said about that. And for a company, if you can develop these personalities, these media uh, personalities in-house, then you'll reap the benefits of everything that they're doing even after they leave, because now you're on their resume and they liked, they like you because they like them. Right. And they will always like you because they like them. I was a big fan of uh, drift because of Dave Gerhart and the seeking wisdom podcast. Um, big fan of Shopify because of Kristen when she was over there, big fan of X, Y, and Z fill in the blank. There's a whole bunch of examples where it comes back to the person behind the brand. 
and uh, and their voice. Uh, even when he talked about a little bit, it jumps into drop and drop out audio or Clubhouse or Twitter Spaces or Spotify Green Room or LinkedIn's now supposedly this year going to be doing it. What is your take on all that stuff and how is this going to differ? Because podcasting is that, and I feel like drop and drop out audio is akin to live streaming or Twitch or something like that with just audio. Mm-hmm. I I don't really know how to put my finger on it exactly quite yet. I don't think that it's going to be as independent of a sort of like type of media or, or like a platform than people think. Um, I think we saw this a little bit with how clubhouse and Twitter spaces played out clubhouse tried to become like another social media platform. And like you go to clubhouse for this, you know, live kind of spontaneous audio experience. And then Twitter built it as a feature and then it skyrocketed in engagement because everyone was promoting Clubhouse through Twitter. And so now Twitter is eating their lunch and it's going to replace that. And so I kind of think of it as like, uh, you know, when Facebook started introducing more video, like you don't go to Facebook for video, but that's just like another thing that you see in your feed. Um, so for, for Twitter spaces, for that kind of drop in, drop in or drop out audio, I think that that's much more going to be like a feature of a platform rather than a thing in and of itself. We see this with Slack and Discord rolling out the drop in, drop, drop out audio, um, Twitter spaces. I think that Facebook is probably working on it. LinkedIn's like, I think that's more the direction we're going to see with it rather than it being its own independent yeah, Discord actually stopped doing it. They actually took it away. I think they're trying to rework it into their... Yeah. Really? Oh. Yeah, they're trying to rework it into their system because they did have... It was called Stages is what they actually called it themselves. Yeah. Yeah, they, they took it out mm-hmm. last, the end of... Almost towards the end of last year. They were like, well, it's not working, so we're going to try okay. to reinvent it, I guess. I don't know if they're going to bring it back, but that's what I've seen from my own Discord account. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... And even speaking of content is because we're talking about being a media company and everything. Is it getting harder for PR pros and marketers to create that content because of podcasting, drop in, drop out audio, video, pictures, writing content and everything else in between? Do you think it's getting harder and harder for the small teams or the one man teams to actually keep on producing this uphill battle of content? Well, I think that it's getting way, way easier to create the content itself. It's never been easier to you know, join a Riverside and start producing a podcast to drop into uh, a Twitter space and start hosting uh, a room. You know, our cameras are amazing these days. Great, great photos. Uh, Twitter's really easy to create any sort of thread. Blog posts, easy, like the means of production are democratized, very easily accessible, very cheap. But of course, the bar goes up for quality of the content that people expect and what they see. So in that respect, 100%, it's getting a lot harder to produce exceptional, noteworthy content, especially content that I think makes people want more of it, where you create an appetite for that type of content. Um, I think that because it's commoditized and because it's so accessible and just gets a lot uh, really noisy, then people become fatigued and it becomes harder to have an appetite for a certain creator or a certain brand or a certain, you know, media publication of, I want more of stuff from this because you just have this constant stream of new stuff in your eyes and your ears and your brains all the time that all sort of just blurs together. 
my again my friend uh, Jay Akunzo, the one who's worked with uh, Wistia and and Drift and ProfitWell, he always has this line. He says, um, it's not, "Today it's not about who shows up; it's about who stays." And I think that's going to be really really key, especially as we go forward. Is not just about like how do we get that. It's not really about how do we get that first eyeball and how do we create content that gets people's attention. I think that's fairly easy these days. It's more about how do you get people to click on the second one, listen to the second episode, listen to the 10th episode, tune into the 10th live stream, the 10th webinar, the 10th Twitter space, because that's more about reputation. That's about this high bar, this this thing that says, of all the content that's in front of me right now, that's being fed like a fire hose through my mouth, I'm going to choose this thing over here instead when that thing pops up over there. So the bar is much higher. Uh, I think that's an opportunity though, to be more creative, to be more innovative, uh, to really think about how can you, um, educate and entertain at the, at the same time, kind of this whole edutainment theme. Um, because people don't want to be bored, right? Everything, everything wants to be more interactive, wants to be more useful, wants to be more thorough. And so it's always been the case that the best content wins, but now it's just, it's more true. <laughs> it's just, that's the more of the reality that we see played out where there were more exceptions to the rule in the past. And now it's, they're few and far in between. And then with all this for the looking towards the future with, it seems like there's a themes of sustainability, of being more creative, eng- engineer marketing and employee influencer marketing. How is this all going to coalesce together? Because I feel like, there's almost like a little bit of a new strategy emerging with what all you said with being your own media company, making sure your products are good, making sure you're building awareness through SEO and all these types of other tried and true strategies, by the way. Yeah. It's, it takes a lot of investment. I think it's really more about like the company culture and values and the way that the founders uh, lead by example from the very beginning it has to be like baked into this is what we do as a company. Um, again, thinking less about marketing as like a means to an end, but more of an end in it to in an, in an, in and of itself, where we're creating content not just because we want to like grab a couple of eyeballs, but because we want to build a brand for having great content and being a destination for people to come to. That'll pay off long term. That'll pay huge dividends, right? Encouraging employees to to have a voice, to be active on social media, to kind of take the reins themselves. Um, to develop more shows and different types of content rather than just, you know, written text, you have audio and you have video and you have shows and this whole elaborate scheme behind it. Um, it takes a lot of people. It takes a lot of man hours, it takes a lot of investment, but I think most, most of all, it takes a lot of belief from the get go, from the beginning, a lot of buy-in from leadership, especially of this, this is what we believe is going to work long-term we like doing this. We're not going to do it with a kind of begrudging attitude. Uh, and we're going to be patient enough to see it through and to make the investments needed for the dividends to eventually pay a little bit later on, even though it's not going to work quote unquote next week. And we're not going to see all the attribution. We're not gonna be able to tie things directly within the data, but we just know that this, this, this thing's going to work. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question, but I think that it's, it just takes a different, a different mindset, a completely different attitude than it did before where you can sort of just duct tape things together and do it ad hoc and the founders can make it work. It really takes a lot of time, investment, attitude, a lot of strategy from the beginning. 
so not only a new normal just personally but also a new way of marketing it seems like out of this pandemic oh yeah yeah absolutely i mean again i think also because things are everything's online now it it became even more noisy even more competitive and so even more the need to differentiate yourself through the quality of content the type of content that you create and the way that you loop people into uh, your audience not just sort of popping up once in a while on someone's feed, but like being the destination that people go to and look to as the source of truth or as, um, as, as a thought leader in the space. Gotcha. And then fun question for you, what product would you really like a startup to actually make? Like what's one killer product you're like, I wish someone would make Mm. this. I've always, uh, I've always had a hard time with the text expanders out there. Um, I love using shortcuts and I have all sorts of little text shortcuts in my phone, um, and they work fairly well, like kind of syncing with between my keyboard, but like, I wish there was just a universal text expander that I could use across email, across the website builder, across, uh, you know, just in my notes folder where I have all these sort of shortcuts, templates, copy and pasteable scripts. Um, and that I can also share with the team as well. That was one of the other big things was like, you know, I'm over here answering a support ticket for something, uh, from a lead. And then someone's like, oh, I, I, I just copy and paste this thing over here. I'm like, geez, I wish you would have shared that with me. Um, and then being able to like update that. Anyways, I've always thought that was an interesting startup idea. Maybe someone would build it and uh, it can be a user or a customer of it. All right. Any final thoughts for our listeners? No. Uh, I talk about this stuff all day long. I live and breathe B2B SaaS marketing. So you can find me on Twitter at Corey Haynes Co. My personal site, CoreyHaynes.co, has a list of all the things I'm working on and more about me. Swipe Files is my newsletter and my membership site where I really go in depth on a lot of this stuff. In fact, I just released a course called Marketing Like a Media Company. So there's some recency bias here on why I'm all hyped up about this stuff. But uh, I would love for people to check it out. And i um, happy to share more over email, over DMs, over Twitter. Uh, just give me a shout. All right. Thank you, Corey, for joining PR360 and sharing your knowledge about all this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure and uh, happy to contribute. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings. Let us know how we're doing. Also, subscribe to YouTube to see all these lovely video episodes as well. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Get to finding a new way of marketing for your business and see you next week. Later.